everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. I am Craig, your host, here with a special and very, very spooky Halloween episode. Uh, we did a Halloween episode. I, I want to say we did one a couple of years ago, uh, but then we skipped it last year. But luckily, in the year 2022, we've been saved by Rita Woods. She's my guest today. Rita, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad myself. Uh, we are... We're going to be doing an author shelf episode this morning, and for those who have listened before, they know the author shelf is where we bring somebody on. Uh, we bring on an author to talk about some book off of their shelf, something that has been influential, important to them in some way. Uh, and today's book is *The Good House* by Tanana Reeve Dew, and I finished it last night, and it was fabulous. And so I hope that people go out there and give it a shot. And we're going to we're going to have a conversation about it today. But I think Rita, we can probably spend at least the first part of our conversation without spoiling the ending. Uh, we can talk about the book so that people who haven't read it get a chance to hey get a little Halloween episode in their in their lives. Um, but yeah, you should read it. I thought it was fantastic. So um, anyway, Rita, thank you for coming on. You are you just published. The Last Dreamwalker on uh, September 20th, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the episode. But for now, we're talking about The Good House. Um, it is a, I, I want to call it a quasi-gothic, demonic possession horror novel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know quite how to categorize this thing, but it's, uh, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I, well, okay, depending on your definition of fun. Rita, before we get into the synopsis of the book and all that, let me just ask you, why did you pick this book? You know, I, I love Tanana Redu. Um, she has this way of weaving really creepy, magical stuff into what should just be normal, everyday um, sort of situations. Um, in this particular book, you know, you've got this family dynamic, this troubled marriage, um, a teenage son struggling to, to find himself. And then you throw these quote, normal people with uh, issues that almost anybody can identify with into basically a, 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 to your point, a story about spirits and demons and, and, um, and history and voodoo. And I, lo I love that mashup. Um, so that's why I picked that book. Cause it's, it was, it's always been one of my favorites she does that with all of her other books. Like you think your life's going one way and then the spirits kind of intervene. Right. And now this, this book was published about 20 years ago. I want to say what well, was two, 2003, maybe Something I, like that, I, yeah. I looked at, I, I looked at some point, uh, but so it was about 20 years ago and it, yeah, as you say, there's a lot going on. It's, you know, to say, what is this book about? <laughs> Good luck. Um, <laughs> there's a lot going on. It's uh, it spans, three generations of a mm -hmm. family. So it's, uh, what's her name? Grandma Marie, black mm -hmm. woman from the South, the deep South moves to Southwestern Washington of all places, because it turns out there's a patch of land there that is, uh, brimming with magical, uh, potential, um, and spirits and all that stuff. And she angers the spirits and thinks that she's, well, she, I guess she knows she hasn't made peace with them, but knows that she also didn't take care of it before she died. And so she tried to leave some instructions 
and those instructions were unfortunately followed by the wrong person. I think it intercepted. So, You're right. Yeah. So, uh, horrible things happen and delightful things happen. And then some more horrible ones. And <laughs> then the book ends, right? What sort of like life, right? <laughs> it's I'll good. You, uh, you know, it's good. <laughs> well, kind of. Yeah. It's, let, let me ask you this. Let's get philosophical before we get into like the plot and the characters. And, you know, like I said, we want to uh, give those who haven't read it yet a chance to listen to it for, for a while before we get into the ending um, <laughs> or whatever. But what is it about horror? Now, I, I've done some episodes in the past with people who are big fans of horror books. Um, and one of the things that they often tell me because I'm, I'm not a I, I'm, I'm not averse to horror but I'm also not uh, well versed in it um, they, they tell me I love it because obviously you get the thrill uh, you know it's um, that shouldn't be discounted but also because I feel like it teaches me something about life and sometimes you know you, you want to go what, what what does horror teach you about life <laughs> you know but but does what does horror do for you? What um, what draws you to it? What makes you want to read it, write it, um, enjoy it in whatever way? I think because um, whether you call it horror or magical realism, mm. I think the thing that draws me is the sense that there are things that exist that exist on another plane, right? That there is more to life than just what you can see with your eyes or hear with your ears. And that the world is a much, much bigger place. Um, I also like the sense that there are these scenes of, of time and reality that can be broken. And, you know, mm. depending on the author, that can be from any kind of thing. Maybe it can be, you remember when you were a kid, or maybe only girls do this, where you go do that thing like Mary, Mary, Mary into the mirror. And, um, oh, it's not, not just girls. Yeah. No. Yeah, we, right. We, like, we okay. scared ourselves. Exactly. You would scare yourself yeah. because on some level, you wanted there to be some magic in the world. You wanted there to be more to what you, than what you could just see. Because if that were, if that's the case, it doesn't always have to be bad, but if the, if there can be this underground hidden wellspring of evil, there has to be a mirror side of good, right? Mm. And that makes you bigger than just, I'm sitting in middle school and there's this kid that won't pay any attention to me. Well, there's more to that than that because I'm magical. And I think that's what draws me, that sense of possibility, that mm. sense of... Um, of power and engagement that's bigger than yourself. And that draws, and that, that really fascinates me. And it's, and it's sort of limitless. I love that. It's, um, I, cause as I cast my mind back, you know, for, for years to when I was a, a teenager, it's, um, I, I can remember that sense very clearly of, um, uh, of, of exactly what you're talking about wanting to wanting to feel bigger than my britches you know that mm -hmm. that i was more important than just the kid in row three you know uh, in the classroom you know head down doing the work um and and it's that is the motivation that is given to the boy who does find the spells and and awakens the demon is he's he says i've always loved magic i love magic tricks you know mm -hmm. it, but they're they're unsatisfying and all he wants is to see some magic 
And so he recklessly goes ahead and tries to perform some and succeeds, unfortunately. Right. Um, and, and that's where that that's where the kind of fantasy element of this comes in is, you know, what if it worked? Be careful what you wish for. Right. That sort of thing. Um, is is there is there some sort of message in this book and books like it that uh, of the the be careful what you wish for, uh, be content with what you have or, you know, or is it, Hey, let's have an adventure and let crazy things happen. I, I don't know. Do we, do we take anything like that from this? You know, I, I think some of it is, um, part of it is be careful what you wish for, but also I, I think there's a little bit of that. A lot of us don't realize what we really want. Right. Mm. So we may be discon uh, discontent or unhappy or, um, maybe we want that big promotion, but we're not real, really clear in our minds how that's going to play out. I think it's the, that, that rule of unintended consequences, right? Yeah. Um, so the grandmother, I think, is very clear about, I think that's where her power comes from, in that initially she's very, very clear about what she wants. There's very strict guardrails. Oh, you, you want to be successful in business. Well, I, these are the guardrails. I think it's only when she allows her emotions to take, take um, over that things get messy, right? She just wants vengeance. And, and once you remove those guardrails, that's sort of when the unintentional, unintended consequences come to play. So I think the thing that the takeaway is not that you shouldn't seek out the magic and seek out the, the mystery and the beauty that's sort of hidden sometimes in the world, but you need to be very intentional about what it is you're, you're asking for, what it is you really want from it. Because if you just say, I want to be the CEO of a, a multi-billion dollar company, you put that out there sort of like, and that's in all the Disney fairy tales too. You made this wish, but, oh, but you didn't say anything about wanting to keep your family and your kids. <laughs> right, right. You didn't say you wanted to be happy. You just said you wanted to be successful. So I think there's that sort of that lesson. Yeah. Oh, what was that? That uh, now you've brought to mind that old Brendan Fraser movie, um, Bedazzled, where he he to ask the devil for stuff and, and ends up going horribly awry. Uh, but we're not here to talk about that. <laughs> and you have kids. You know that show that uh, those, that book series, Amelia Bedelia. Oh where, yeah, absolutely. Okay, it's almost like that on a more more um, evil way it's like well i need you to hang the curtains okay but you weren't specific so she hangs them from you know a noose from the roof or something <laughs> um it, let me let me ask you a question uh, it, it, kind of shifting gears but but uh like you said this is it's more sinister in in the in uh the good house than in amelia bedelia so <laughs> these <much>. concepts <laughs> much more sinister <laughs> Do and and uh, you're you're welcome to punt on this question if you if you want to. But do how much do you believe in um, you know uh, spirits and alternate planes and other realms and whatnot and and those stitches that you talk about these you know places or times when uh, the seams start to to bust open a little bit and and things cross over. Uh, how much? do you put stock in that personally and whatever your answer is, how does that affect the way that you kind of receive books like this? I, I really, I don't know that I would call it spirituality per se, 
but you know, as you know, I have a science background and I, mm. and I, I really, I do believe in that, that, um, the science, that energy never goes away. It just changes. And that could be, and that includes humans and animals and anything that's ever happened. I also believe kind of in karma. And so I do believe that there's, there are things that we cannot see that we don't understand and things that influence our world that um, could be called magic or could be called spirits. We have to give language to it because we don't have a, a real mm. language for it, right? Um, and, and it's ancient. You can go back from the beginning of written uh, language and every culture has this belief system where they cannot explain certain things and they call it magic or they call it spirit. And it's hard for me to believe that through millennia that multiple cultures across the world have this same similar belief system and yet there's nothing there. So I do believe right. that there's something um, that we don't have access to um, on a conscious basis. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I, I think I'm roughly with you there. Um, obviously, like you say, the, the, this is a very general principle. There's something going on and, and we right. don't know what it is. Uh, right. I, I don't think everybody is willing to accept that necessarily, but, um, but I, I do, I think there's something going on. I just watched it, it and it doesn't have to be necessarily malevolent spirits or whatever, no. <laughs> but right. Right. I just watched this, uh, documentary a week or so ago on Netflix about infinity. I can't remember what it's called, but, uh, it's about the concept of infinity and the trouble that you run into in math and science and all these things when you introduce the concept of infinity and it, it does kind of awaken, you know, some, something like that as much as something like the good house can awaken in your mind this idea of possibilities beyond um, just the, the purely physical uh, world. Anyway, yeah, I, I love that stuff. I don't know where I come down on the specifics, like I say, but as a general principle, I think I'm, I'm with you. But what, so how does that affect your reading of or enjoyment of a book like the good house? Um, do do you enjoy feeling like you're getting into a peek into one of those possible worlds? Is it is it just the the thrill of the macabre? Uh, what what is it for you? I in 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 particular in the good house, <laughs> I love the idea that there's this generational connection to ancestors and spirit. Um, and so no, I, for me, I don't like to be. What what are the kids called? Jump scared. I don't like oh, yeah. jump, you know, I don't like to be just have jump scares just for the sake of it. I think yeah. it has for me, it has to be grounded in something. And um in this particular uh book, it's uh it's grounded in Wudun. And I find that fascinating um because it it's it's both historical and it pays homage to the ancestors. It's, I don't, I wouldn't call it particularly religious, but it is spiritual and the, and there's rules, very specific rules. Like, I don't know if you've seen those commercials where the guy's laughing saying, well, let's, let's get in the running car. No, let's hide <laughs> yeah. behind the chainsaws. You know, to me, that's just, you know, scary for scary sake. Whereas this, the rules are, the reason these things are happening is because there are very specific rules that the gods and the spirits expect and they want a certain amount of respect you break those rules and then the wheels come off 
mm. and you're kind of on your own. And I, I like books that it's very clear and very grounded in, um, in rules and regulations and respect and discipline. And the scary part comes when people either don't respect the rules, don't know the rules, or just accidentally stumble into this realm where they're like, okay. So I don't like jump scares just for the sake of scares. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I, I think the generational thing is obviously significant in this book. And there's a lot to be learned from it. As you say, uh, respect, um, and we can kind of blow that out even, uh, first of all, you've got to respect, you know, yourself and your parents and your grandparents, where you came from, you know, and not everybody's situation is such where they say, you know, instinctively, oh, I want to respect, you know, this person. Sometimes, you know, bad things can happen within families, but there's still something to the idea of knowing where you came from and who you came from. And, and so respect can just take the form of sometimes understanding um, so that by understanding your past, you understand yourself better. Um, and so there's that generational thing going on uh, with, with this book, because the, the, and I should say, I should also say it kind of goes the other way as well. It's not just about you respecting your past, but it's also about respecting your future and those who are going to come after you. Because one of the things Grandma Marie uh, doesn't do well is communicate to her family what is going on. She kind of leaves right. some breadcrumbs, which makes for a great story, right? right. But, <laughs> but if we're pulling life lessons out of our stories, don't do the Grandma Marie thing and keep it all a secret. <laughs> if you have literal demons coming after your family, you might want to tell them. Uh, <laughs> but don't you find that even if you take the magic out of it, that's I think that's an underlying theme too is that you might have all the best intentions in the world. I'm going to protect my family. And so you hold these secrets, but these secrets always manage to come out in a really bizarre and twisted way. Um, and that can be, it doesn't have to be magic. It can be the secret of alcoholism, of adoption, mm, of a child yeah. that was put up for adoption, of a, of a molestation, of, of something. But you hold the secret, but it affects the way you interact with your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Nobody really knows what's wrong, except they know that there's something there. And I think even if you take the magic away, I think that's also an underlying theme. That could be an underlying universal theme of this book. I think you're absolutely right. Um, but of course, but of course, the magic is there. Oh, and yes. <laughs> I was uh, it's it's actually one of the things that I found uh, very satisfying about this book is, uh, well, let me cast our listeners' minds back to, what was it, June? I think it was June or July this year when we aired another Author's Shelf episode when Allison Noel chose Rebecca, the classic <laughs> gothic horror novel for us to read. And I'd never read it before, uh, and I quite enjoyed it. I, I thought it was fabulous. I read it when I was but... like 12, and it was scared the crap out of me. <laughs> a little inappropriate, but I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it was, uh, well, I, I can imagine reading this at 12. I'll tell you, it, yeah, when we're done recording, I'll tell you what somebody made me read when I was 12. And uh, <laughs> it, it messed me up. Um, <laughs> but with uh, but with Rebecca, it's, it's um, there are similarities as far as, um, you know, secrets being kept and this house that's haunted by the presence of this and that and the other. But 
in Rebecca, you come to realize that, um, that, well, sorry, spoiler alert, everybody. There is no ghost. The, the ghost that's haunting the house is the memory of this woman. And, mm-hmm. uh, I want to say more about it, but you can go listen to the episode. Go listen to the episode. Um, in this one, I got the payoff of, yeah, a demon showed up and he's pissed. Uh, and it was, so I, I, I really enjoyed kind of <laughs> just the, just the payoff of, yeah, it's the magic. It's kind of like Corey in the story. He says, uh, I like the tricks, but I need something real. I, I just want to know that there's real magic. And as a reader, I kind of got that payoff as well. Um, so, so to, to bring people in who haven't read the book, there's a malevolent demon spirit thing. I'm not sure exactly what, what, what are they called? The Baka. The Baka, that, yeah. That uh, has been haunting this, this house for a few generations after Grandma Marie woke it up. Um, and Corey, now the grandson, great-grandson? Great-grandson wakes it up. And, uh, and, and now it's out for, for vengeance on yeah. this family. Um, and the, the main character is Corey's mom. And the demon wants to get her and make her suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so so I, I I guess going back to my point, I love the payoff of having an actual demon. Uh, I will say that that payoff, that, that uh, enjoyment for me came a little bit too late, in, not too late, but later than I would have liked in the book, where it does start quite slow. I'd say the first half of the book there, we don't have any of that uh, kind of um, extra natural, spiritual, demonic, whatever word. We don't have much of that stuff. Uh, but for me, when it came into the story, it really picked up quite a bit. Um, I don't know. I, I response, any, any thoughts on, do, do, you, do you feel I, like? I have uh, to agree. It had been a long time since I read the book. And so in rereading it, I mean, the first chapter, of course, is almost prologue. It starts in, I think, I can't remember, 1925, 1929. And it's clear that there's something really creepy and supernatural going on. But then, like, the next 50, 75, you know, 100 pages, it spends a lot of time world building, talking about the relationship between Angie, the, the main character, and Tariq, her husband. And personally, I could have done without that you know, or a little less of that um, because it's not until Angie returns back to Sacagawea that you get sort of picked back up that magical thread or that, that uh, demonic thread. So I, Mm -hmm. I I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. And it's, it it wasn't egregious or anything, but uh, I might've, I might've taken a, a thick blue pencil to, you know, some of some portions of those beginning chapters, but Hey, it's Tanana Reevdu. I'm not uh, <laughs> yeah, not in much yeah. of, of a position to to critique too hard, uh, but I guess uh, maybe it's just personal preference that once the magic showed up, I was like, "All right, now we're into the story. Now right. some freaky stuff is happening." Um, and so, so yeah, I, I quite enjoyed that. What um, on this read through? Did anything jump out to you um, that that maybe hadn't jumped out to you before, um, or you know, favorite bits from previous times you'd read it? Uh, was there any specific moment or character that caught your attention and made you go, oh yeah, that's why I love this book? You know, it's funny. So I, and I don't know if you know this, but, uh, in Remembrance, there's a whole, which is my first novel. Um, mm. there's a whole thing of 
it's strongly based in Vudan and the Loire and the Orishas. And I hadn't had that research background when I read, when I read the good house the first time. Right. And mm. so I just kind of took it at face value. So rereading it this time, I kind of, I knew the rules and I, so there was much more of an, Oh no, this is going to go badly. You know, when I was reading it, because now I knew uh, based on research I'd done for my own book that the Loire, you know, it's kind of like the pantheon of Greek gods, like in the Marvel series where, you know, you've got Loki who's, you know, very independent and unreliable. And it's like, you know, he's charming, but he's a hot mess. And you have the ones who, you know, Zeus, who's kind of arrogant, but he's, you know, if you follow the rules, he's okay. And so there's that pantheon in Vudan as well with the, the Loire. Mm. There, you know, Father Legba, who is very strict and very stern, but and he's a father, right? He's the father figure. He's the gatekeeper between our world and the spirit realm. And so when she started, she, meaning Marie and Corey, started doing the thing where they're kind of straying off script because I had already, I kind of had this back new background that I hadn't had before. I, I just knew this is going to go really badly when he releases these things, because like at one point, uh, our, the, the mayor says there's some really beautiful gods. And then there's other ones, you know? So I, I mm. didn't have that knowledge before. And, and I, to be honest, I don't know much about that stuff either. You know, you hear the names and you understand that, that there is a history to this, uh, this belief system, but I didn't know all that much about it. I still don't know that much about it. Um, but I love a book like this for the peeks into that, that I get, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the good house is not a book that's going to teach you all about, you know, these, uh, these belief systems and the magic and, uh, you know, voodoo and whatever else uh, it's dealing with, but it's going to give you glimpses and make you go, you know, I, I think I do want to learn more about that. And then you go pick up another book that teaches you a right. little bit more and, or write a book in your case that, uh, that <laughs> deals with some of that stuff. Um, what, what is it about that region? We're talking deep South kind of Louisiana, Bayou magic stuff, you know, the, the Gullah language that we hear snatches of, or uh, what is it about that? I'm, I'm not sure if it's just the, just the foreignness to somebody like me. You know, I, I grew up in Washington state, but uh, you know, not the magical did you part. Really? <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> so, so between Washington and Utah, maybe it's, maybe it's just the kind of foreignness of, um, you know, something that's far away and, and not understood, but it, it makes it magical all by itself for me to read a book with these, these people speaking French, which I do like. I, thank goodness I speak French because I actually understood what was going on for some of those passages that she doesn't translate. <laughs> but, um, but it's the, the French and the, the African and the, you know, the Southern and Haitian and, and all this stuff kind of gets thrown into, uh, and forgive me, this, this gumbo pot <laughs> of, of, fascinating history for me. I, I, I quite enjoy it. And obviously you did as well. Uh, you do as well. Cause you write about this stuff. Um, but, but I imagine there's a, a different sense for you than there is for me. Like I said, we grew up in different parts mm-hmm. of the country, I think. And so what, what is it that draws you to 
those uh, those things, those those aesthetics? Uh, is it is it a more personal sense of history for you, or is it uh, like me? It's it's distant and foreign and interesting. I think there's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I'm not from the south, um, but. I think it's a little bit more personal just in terms of realizing that the way, the reason this came together is because you, you know, you're drawing from multiple traditions, West African, um, Caribbean, um, uh, French, and, and all of it comes together and makes this amalgam of power, right? And I think that part of the reason that 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 region because you know you can if you go anywhere through uh the south haiti south america there's Canobelli, there's santeria there's voodoo and i think part of that is a, because this is a region that has combined it has a very um fraught history right mm -hmm. and it is combining multiple belief systems together in addition, I think these uh, religions, because Wudan is a religion, Voodoo is a religion, is that um, you are taking a people who are in, ex in extremists, right? And so they, that spirituality comes to the forefront in a way that wouldn't be necessary if there weren't such strife going on. And, mm, interesting. Yeah. You know, you sort of combine that with, and I think magic it takes place in those spaces where there's huge emotional upheaval, um, because then you're open to that, right? If if life is going great and everything's good, you're not a, you know, you're just sort of living in it, right? You don't necessarily need to pull from from the spirits from a realm of somewhere else. When things, when you're just trying to survive and you are at walking the thin knife edge of emotional and spiritual trauma, I think you're open, more open to trying to pull in from all traditions to make this work for you and to find joy and peace mm -hmm. in, at a place that where that seems impossible. So I think that might be sort of why you sort of see these religions thrive in these areas, uh, like I said, like Santeria and Canobelli and Voodoo, uh, because those are the regions in which these sort of things take place. It's always roiling emotionally and spiritually. That's so fascinating. I've never thought about it in those terms before. I, I'm trying in, in my head, I'm trying to relate it to things that I do know at least a little bit about. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking of, um, as you say, the upheaval, the uh, difficulties and high emotions, they open people up, whether it's individuals or cultures, uh, they become opened up in a certain way. And it makes me think of um, uh, the great awakenings of the 18th and 19th century in America, where there are these explosions of uh, kind of Protestant churches and, you know, traveling ministers and mega churches and all this stuff. And that popped up around the time that there were great expansions going on and migrations of people and they're settling this and they're yeah. fighting them and there and there's all this stuff going on and poof now you have this great awakening i wonder yeah i wonder how much there is to that um boy you've given me something to go research now <laughs> a lot of a lot of somethings if we're being honest so um all right well 
I'm, I'm thinking, Rita, we should probably talk about the the plot of the book itself, the characters, the writing, maybe a little more specifically. So to those who haven't read the book yet, we'll probably mention a few things. <laughs> so if you, uh, if you want to avoid spoilers and go read the book, then, uh, you know, maybe pop off now and come back um, when you've read the book. Uh, or at least the Wikipedia synopsis. I, I don't there know. you go. But, uh, <laughs> um, but let's talk about, I, I guess we, we've talked around the plot of the book, but let's, let's dive into the characters and, and what we like and, you know, what worked and maybe even some of what didn't. Um, we talked a little bit about the beginning of the book being a little slower than maybe the two of us would have preferred um, though different strokes, I'm sure there are a lot of people who love the beginning of this book. Um, anyway, uh, but what, what to make of our main character, Angie, um, she, uh, so she is, uh, she, she's the generation that was skipped, right. um, to, right. to set the table a little bit. Grandma Marie. So she think of her as the great grandmother accidentally curses her daughter. Um, so her daughter lives her whole life under this curse, uh, ends up committing suicide over it. Um, and nobody tells her daughter, our main character, Angie, what's going on. And therefore she's unprepared to, um, uh, to deal with her teenage son finding stuff. She doesn't even know that it's going on anyway, but she, do you find her to be compelling on her own terms as a character or as a delivery system for the story. And what I mean by that is sometimes you have a main <laughs> character who is, who's a very strong personality. Um, and sometimes you have a, a main character who's more like a, a Harry Potter or something where it's like, yeah, just here's an empty vessel for the reader to pour themselves right. into. Um, how do you read the main character? Uh, where do you put her on that spectrum? So I think she's sort of, um, I think she's a strong main character, but became stronger as the story took place. You know, she's so, um, she, I don't find her particularly likable, which isn't necessary for protagonists. I don't think. No. Um, there were so many times I just wanted to stop it. Um, just smack her. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh my God. She's so unlikable. And I was kind of with Corey, um, when he's like, oh my God. Um, but at the same time, one of the things that um, Du uh, had done was sort of build this backstory. So you kind of knew why she was the way she was, a little bit of a control freak, you know, prickly and ready to uh, snap at things, you know, based on her history with her mother and, and growing up in this place that was where she was a, always a bit of an outsider. Um, so I, I thought... I thought she was a strong protagonist, but I think she grew stronger as she took more ownership of of this thing that her grandmother had never really told her about. Um, you know, sort of in the beginning, the, it read to me more as women's fiction as opposed to um, oh, interesting. You know, as opposed to horror or fantasy, just because, like I said it earlier, it sort of spent a lot of time talking about her and Tariq's relationship, which to be mm. fair, I didn't care that much about. I cared more about it later as it became clear that it started to unravel, um, as Tariq started to unravel. Um, so I, I think it worked 
the last two thirds of the book. I, I think she worked the last two thirds and certainly as she became began to take more ownership of what it was that was going on. She spent a, I, one of the problems I have with some books is that some authors, not particularly in this one, but just a little bit, will spend a lot of time with the main character going, what's going on? I don't get it. That can't be happening. It's like, dude, it, your bathtub is filled <laughs> with leaves and mud. It, it, I think it's happening, you know. That, that was one of my favorite portions of the book. And we're, you know, it's toward the end when she's accepted what's going on, but not everybody around her has, especially, um, oh, what's the, the Miles. boyfriend? Miles, Miles. thank you. Mm -hmm. She and, and Miles are together, but he is absolutely insistent on his skepticism, uh, refuses to acknowledge right up until, uh, spoiler alert, his very bitter end. Um, he refuses to accept what he sees around him. And it's a great juxtaposition. As you say, um, so often it's kind of swapped where the main character doesn't want to, oh, no, you know, see no evil, all this stuff. No, right. she's she's into it. You know, she accepts what's going on. And it's Miles, which I, I think is a, a great um, stroke of of uh, writing by Tanana Reeve to give... A, a secondary character that skepticism yep. um, so that you still see it, but I think it's more satisfying as the reader to, you know, to, to be rooting for the protagonist and, and to be in her head. Uh, so, so that as she accepts it fully um, and decides to wage war with this demon, she accepts it. And therefore you as the reader get the thrill of accepting it. Right. Um, and yeah, I think that that's really, really great. Um, I'll tell you who I enjoyed reading was Corey, the 15-year-old son. Um, not because I have gone through everything that Corey did. I, I was lucky enough for my parents to have stayed together for my entire childhood. But I did experience kind of that uprooting, uh, moving to, you know, going going to a place I didn't want to be. Uh, you know, I'm still here now, so I guess it was okay. <laughs> it turned out fine. But, you know, moving to Utah and, uh, when I was a kid and and kind of going through that that at the very least was uh, uh was something for me to latch onto in the yeah. story and so I, I enjoyed reading him trying to make friends trying to find something interesting to do in this town um and and he he was quite a, a fun character for me uh well fun <laughs> I, I thought she did him well, though, because, I mean, he's such a teenage boy. I'm a man. I'm a boy. I'm a man. I'm a boy. I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm, you know, um, and it, that's exactly how teenagers are, right? It's like, oh, I, it, what's really funny is in my head, I'm thinking it would be really hard to tell the difference between a teenage boy being possessed versus being hormonal. Because teenage <laughs> yeah. boys are schizophrenic anyway. You know, one minute they're hugging you. The next minute it's... it's let me out here two blocks away. I don't have parents, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm locking the door. I'm, you know, don't come in. I want to have dinner together. So I think she did Corey really well, but in a, into, I, I'm not sure where that happened in the book. At one point they were saying, or maybe it was the demon that said it, that Corey as a teenager. And I think that's true is more open to being influenced by these, mm. these things because yeah, they're still children on one level. So they have this universal belief in that the fact that anything is possible. 
And they also have that problematic part where they don't really see the danger of things. They, you know, kids, particularly teens, feel immortal and, invul and, and invulnerable. They can't be hurt. They, they just don't see the consequences until they're in their face. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm still working on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Teenage me. You never well, learned. Once a teenage boy, always a teenage boy. <laughs> well, yeah. He says in his, you know, man cave podcasting uh, you know, on a yeah, Saturday right? morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, oh, oh, who else did I want to talk about? I, I guess I wanted to talk about, um, about uh, Miles as well, and and his relationship with her, and and how. You know what? No, I, I kind of want to save this. It, well, I'm trying to decide if I want to talk about it. You know what? I'm going to shift gears. <clears throat> Instead, I'm going to ask you this: What? What was for you the scariest part of, of the book or the scariest thing about the book? I think I've got my answer, but, but there is some, as you say, you kind of hesitated around the, the label horror for this. You, you were calling it magical realism, but there's definitely some scary stuff going on. Uh, I'll let you think about your answer, actually. Uh, so I'll give you mine, give you a chance to think for a moment. The scariest thing for me is uh, so I, I let's talk about Tariq. Tariq is the scariest character for me, um, and not necessarily because of what he does. He ends up becoming he, you know, he's possessed and he's chasing people around and and you know shooting cops in the head and like it's it, he's he's obviously scary, but it, it's maybe I don't know two thirds of the way through the book, halfway through the book, something we get this scene where he, so he's a, a football coach and his nephew is one of his players at the, the Raiders and they're, they're out at a club and you, you, so you get this scene at the club and there, you know, they, there's this girl out front making uh, inappropriate advances Little on girl. these two older men, Younger. Yeah, slightly inappropriate. Yeah. Uh, they go in the club, they get in a fight. There's, you know, um, anyway, it, there, there's, drugs that he says no to and, and all this stuff. And then the scene turns and we, we get the nephew's perspective on what happened. And actually some, some terrible, so the uncle Tariq, um, the, the guy who, who is in the process of being possessed does some really awful, horrible, horrible things in that scene. Um, and she tells the scene, I want to say it's three times she writes the scene. Once from his ignorant perspective, mm -hmm. once as he's being told by his nephew what he actually did, and then once where he relives it uh, and knows exactly what he did and some of the details that the nephew got wrong. And it's, I, I will say that that scene reflects maybe the scariest thing about the book for me is this idea that Tariq got possessed and did things that he doesn't remember and are unspeakably horrible, um, uh, you know, and then is given that knowledge again later. Mm -hmm. And something about that is just terrifying to me. Um, the, the idea that, that I could be made to do something that awful, whew, you know, it gives me the willies. Yeah. What, uh, what what about you? What's what is the scariest thing in this book? 
That actually was the one for me where I just had to take a breath for a minute. It's um, rough. Because it, it was totally, like you said, just this is the most awful thing as his nephew Daquan is telling him this thing that he did. Um, and at the same time, it's heartbreaking, right? It just, it broke my heart. I mean, Tariq is a, certainly an imperfect human. You know, I think he had his own rage issues, his own drug mm -hmm. issues. He wasn't the greatest guy in the first place, but he he was still trying. And oh, yeah, he was working on that. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do drugs anymore. I'm trying to clean up my act. He clearly loved his nephew. But this that pivotal point where something broke inside of him, and, and then you realize sort of a little bit later after that, that all of this pain that he was suffering was him still trying to fight to hold on to his humanity. And he lost it that, that night in that limousine. Right. And, um, as he's tell, as, as Daquan is telling him what he'd done. And if, as to your point, at first he's just denying it. Like, are you out of your mind? That, that is nothing that I would ever, ever do. Even when I was doing drugs, I would never do that. Um, I think he says that at one time, like even at his worst, that is a mm. line he would not have crossed. And then he comes to, the memory comes back to him. And I think I was most terrified when he attacked his nephew. And I just kept thinking, no, 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 no. You know, don't do it. Don't hurt Daquan. Um, but for me, again, I agree. That was the most painful. And I felt so sor sad for Tariq because Tariq disappeared at that moment. You know, mm. there was no more Tariq at that point. And it was, a, you know, I felt a little bit of nausea because the demon at that point, and I don't know if it was the demon or Tariq or the combination of both, was a little bit charming and and funny and, um, and wry and humorous in a really demented sort of way. Like when he goes to, <laughs> yeah. to see Naomi, it's like, oh, I'm not going to oh. hurt you. And I'm like, mm, I'm not buying it's, this. <laughs> that... That's the other scene. Um, okay, so Tariq eventually goes on a murderous rampage um, at the at the end of the book, but that that was the other scene, kind of leading up to the end. When so uh, we haven't talked about her. Uh, oh, sorry, Angie's friend is you just said it. No, Naomi. Naomi. Yeah. Naomi. Naomi Price. Uh, so he tracks down Naomi and kills her. This is Angie's friend, um, and it did not escape my attention that I wasn't as terrified um, of the murderous rampage, the kind of, like, like you said, the, the movies where let's hide behind the chainsaws, right? Yeah, <laughs> like right, 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 right. That's kind of what we get into. Like, he, we're chasing each other around and, and having this confrontation. But leading up to that, um, just to to give, uh, to so that people who haven't read it know what we're talking about, the, in the first scene in the limo, um, he uh, rapes an underage girl. It's awful and terrible, and I don't want to dwell too much on that. But the other scene that you just brought up with Naomi, he finds her at a, a hotel and murders her there. It did not escape my attention that the two scenes with um, violence toward very vulnerable women were the hardest for me to read and the mm -hmm. scariest for me to read. It was... Uh, it was, uh, they, they, they were the most affecting for me, probably. And uh, unfortunately, might be some of the stuff that sticks with me the longest <laughs> after yeah. I'm done reading the book. Um, 
but uh, yeah, terrifying, terrifying stuff. And the whole time he's sort of, and it was this, I, I, I kind of laughed, but it wasn't like a, a humorous laugh where, you know, he had the dog Onyx. Mm, and like, yeah. I, I, you know, <laughs> he was very proud of himself for like not killing anybody. It's like, <laughs> you know, I've, I've got my rage under control. I'm not going to throw the dog mm. out the window on the interstate. It's like, I, okay, low bar, but uh, okay. <laughs> you know, when he's walking around like, well, I didn't just, I didn't kill, I didn't run over to Quan with my car. I could have done that. See, I'm, yeah. I'm really working on my rage issues. Like, wow. <laughs> and it feeds into what I was saying before about, um, about that being the terrifying thing for me is uh, the, the idea of doing something um, you know, or being possessed and being made to do something I would never normally do. Um, it, the part of the scariness of Tariq uh, toward the end of the book is the fact that he still talks like Tariq. He has Tariq's memories. He is, in mm -hmm. a way, Tariq, but the demon brings out the absolute right. worst in him. Right. Um, and that's, you know, it's it's like reading a, a horrific version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, how evil am I, actually? You right. Know, um, it's, it's, that's a scary thought to confront. Um, how dark is my dark side? Right. Oh. Pretty dark. Yeah. Let's not, yeah, let's not dwell. I, let's not find <laughs> out, huh? <laughs> so, all right, let's wrap up talking about this book so we can talk about yours. But any final thoughts, uh, anything else you want to leave us with on The Good House and, and why you love it so much? Um, I, I, I just think it, it's a, a wonderful study in family and ancestors hmm. and, um, and vulnerabilities. And it's just, I, you know, I just, I just love the book. Oh, I think that is fair enough. You know, sometimes we just love stuff, but I agree. The, um, the, the best books are about more than just their plot. Yeah. Um, and this one, like you say, does get into family issues, intergenerational issues. The, the idea that you can be responsible for something that someone did a generation or two or three ago is, um, it, it's a powerful lesson and one that reminds us to be mindful of our family and be mindful of our history. Um, so it's kind of I, Shakespearean, right? It's like yeah. the sins of the father, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's Shakespearean Old Testament. Take your pick. Old Testament. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so one of, and I say this, I, I feel like, I, I don't just feel like, I think I do say this on every author shelf episode. Um, but I'm going to say it again because it's so true. My favorite thing about the author shelf series is reading books that were not on my radar that I probably never would have read another way. Um, and this definitely falls into that. It's, uh, it's going on my bookshelf. It's actually this, this version of it is horribly printed. <laughs> so I gotta, I gotta call somebody at Washington square press about this. Come on. But, uh, but I'm going to read it again for sure. It's going on my shelf. Um, and I wanted to thank you, Rita, for choosing the book because like I said, I, I probably wouldn't have come across it any other way. And boy, am I glad I read it. It is fabulous. So well done with your pick. <laughs> um, all right. So Rita, let's talk for just a moment about uh, what you have. Uh, I, I was going to say coming up, but it actually came out last month. A month ago, um, yeah. It's The Last Dreamwalker. Do you want to give us a, a kind of an elevator pitch? What is this book about? What is it? So The Last Dreamwalker is, <clears throat> excuse me, about Layla. 
Uh, Layla is the main character. She's a 20-something year old artist who has had wild and extraordinarily vivid dreams her whole life to the point where she would often wake up in the homes of strangers, sometimes have injuries, uh, be covered in dirt, be in places that she didn't know, and have memories that and knowledge that she shouldn't have access to otherwise. And um, she's always had this fraught relationship with her mother and these dreams that she has always had makes it worse. Her mom doesn't want to talk about it. Uh, she dismisses her at every turn. Um, and so she just has this very difficult relationship with her mother. When her mother dies suddenly, um, Layla decides to reconnect with her mother's fam mother side of the family, um, who are, who live in the Gullah Geechee uh, mm. area, the uh, heritage corridor. So she goes out to South Carolina to visit her aunts, her mother's sister, older sisters, and realizes once she's there that uh, she has an inheritance. And the inheritance is one, an island, uh, a Gullah Island that she'd never known even existed. And number two, she realizes um, or she comes to realize that these dreams that she's had her whole life is actually uh, a power that's been passed down through her Gullah ancestors through generations. And that power is the ability to walk in other people's dreams and inhabit them. Um, but also as she grows stronger, she realizes the, um, in addition to just inhabiting the dream, she has the ability to manipulate the people whose dreams she inhabits. And what is she going to do with that power? <laughs> well, one of well, the issues spoiling is she gets it. <laughs> into a feud inside of these dreams. So, oh, man. Yeah, you could a... use that power for good or evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, it's um, there are a few stories that we've done on the podcast that you're bringing to mind here. But that's um, how much does the um, – how, how much does your book – do what uh, the good house did as far as give me tastes and tidbits of um, religious or spiritual systems and, you know, cultural stuff that, that I probably wouldn't be as aware of. Do you, do you do a lot with that? I do some. And, you know, part of it is <clears throat> it's important to me. A, a large portion of the book takes place in the Gullah Geechee nation. And mm. um, I wanted very much to touch on on how that informs Layla and her family, because that history of the Gullah Geechee Nation is really um, amazing and rich and a full tapestry. Um, and so it does take place in a dual time zone, uh, a dual time zone, a dual timeline. Um, it talks about Gemma, who is her great, great, great grandmother. And that takes place right around as the Civil War is coming about. Um, mm. And she is a very powerful dreamwalker. And she she is the first one to weaponize dreamwalking, and she uses that to get what she wants, which in this case is act, is ownership of this island for her and her descendants. Um, and so it talks about sort of the history of how that came to be. It um, talks about sort of the history of the Gullah Geechee Nation a little bit, and um, how important that is to the, these these women's identity. Um, so it does get into some of it. Yeah. 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 Well, between, um, you know, magical dreamwalking and uh, what, what would the Afro Bahamian 
culture and history. It sounds like I, like I said before, uh, maybe before we started the recording, I think I understand why you chose the good house for, for us to read. It's, uh, right. uh, sounds, sounds like there's some inspiration maybe that you got from reading Tanana Reeve do, uh, earlier. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And okay. Well, it, so the, the uh, book is the last Dreamwalker. It came out last month. Um, but guess what, everybody, you can still buy it and you should, and, and I'm going to as well. I, um, I've gotten into a habit now of buying all these books that, uh, like the, the other books on, um, the author's shelf, the ones that the authors actually wrote, I've been <laughs> buying all of them and enjoying them. So the last Dreamwalker is coming up. I, I suspect that I will have a really good time with it. Um, so everybody should go check that out. Uh, Rita, anything else that, uh, you want to let us know about or promote? Um, not offhand. Okay. All right. So the Austin last Dreamwalker. For those who live in Texas next weekend. Say that again. I'll be at the Austin Book Festival uh, for ah. those uh, who live in the Texas area next weekend. All right. So, yeah. All right. The Austin Book Festival. Um, go check out Rita and her stuff there. All right. So, Rita Woods, thank you again so much for um, for choosing a book for us to read and, and making it a good one. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun for me and I appreciate you taking a few minutes out of your day and I hope you enjoy your Halloween and, you know, whatever else is coming up and, you know, people are going to be listening to this three and a half years from now going, who cares about Halloween? But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> thank you, Rita. Thank you. And for everybody else, thank you for listening, um, or watching. If you're on YouTube, you should go subscribe on YouTube. We appreciate that. Um, and make sure you go to thelegendarium.com. Thelegendarium.com is where you can get our Patreon link. You can get our uh, Discord link so you can join in the conversation, ask and answer lots of questions, and hang out with uh, with other fans of books. So please uh, go check out thelegendarium.com. And once again, we thank Rita for joining us here today. And I will see everybody next time. Bye.